Storywise would end season one, episode three. Welcome to Storywise Would End. True stories told live in Wood End in the Macedon Ranges, 70 kilometres north of Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Welcome back to the third episode of Storywise Would End. My name's Kate Lawrence, and these are stories that were told live at the Storytelling Night in Wood End in October 2015. The stories you're about to hear came from the first night of Storywise Wood End, where the theme was firsts. And I thought a lot about the theme as I was preparing my own story for the night. And because it was the first night, I had a lot of worries. I was worried that I wouldn't have enough storytellers. I was worried that there'd be no audience. I was worried that my own story wasn't going to be any good. I was worried about how I was going to host. I was just, I was just worried. And another thing I was worried, because if I didn't have enough, was that that the theme might be seen as constraining. But as I thought more and more about firsts, I realized that it was broad. And the the themes are meant to be a jumping board. They're meant to be idea generating for people. Whereas if someone has a story, often you you can massage the story to fit it into a theme. And even if you can't, it's such a friendly place. No one's ever going to say, yeah, and you're not being rated. So the theme is meant to be helpful, not limiting. And when I thought about the theme of firsts, no matter what the content of your story, some part of it is going to be a first because if it wasn't, there actually wouldn't be any story. So let's get started with the first story of this episode, which comes from Christine Hardiman, who was a real surprise. She turned up on the first night and she's been at nearly every single one since then, telling her gorgeous style of story. And and this one is is no exception. It's a beautiful story. Christine is one of these people, I think she's quite rare in that she doesn't have an email address. I don't know what percentage of the Western world doesn't have an email address, but Christine's in that percentage. She's a storyteller and here's her story. Okay, I gather the theme for tonight is beginnings. And many years ago, I decided I wanted to start creative writing, so I got a fantastic book. Some of you may have come across uh, by Natalie Goldberg called Writing Down the Bones. It's a little thin, thin book, uh, but it, its chapters are two pages long, so it's very easy to read. So one of her exercises was um, by increments, uh, you sit down and you have an open notepad, pen and paper, and you suddenly think, what am I going to write about? And your subconscious says, burnt matchsticks. So you do that for 10 minutes. And each, t- each week you increase it. So you end up 40 minutes writing on a particular subject and you don't know what you're going to write about. And your subconscious comes up with the most wonderful things. And I thought, if this happens with me, I wonder if that happens with the general public. So I thought, I know. I'm going to be a writing busker. I'm going to go into the city and write stories for people. And I got my busking permit and I got all my my gear and everything else. But my nerve failed me for a month. 
and for a month I didn't go into the city. And eventually I thought, this is ridiculous. I've got my permit, I've, I'm raring to go, I have to, have to go. So I chose Moomba to go in, which is a bit sort of like diving into the deepest pool in the world. Uh, and I thought, at least someone will ask me for a story. The first day, I went March the 9th, um, 2003, I went in and I wrote 23 stories. And the first story was, the idea is writing busking, is it to do a page of writing. So someone says, here's the title for the story, can you write a page? Now, the thing is, you must not think. You must not ponder. Otherwise, your nerve will fail you. And so you have to go straight into it. And I have no idea what I would write. Because, you know, I always had one page because I'd go for 20 pages later otherwise. So I just go into it and I never knew what my subconscious mind would come up with. So my first story ever was Fidel Castro's Dress Sense. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was wonderful. And I thought I'd just do it occasionally. But that idea of beginnings, um, that I did 23 stories that day. The next day I came in again and did 17 stories. And from then on I was hooked because the first day a little boy came along and said, um, your, your sign says any story for any donation or any, any payment. And I'm coming to the city with my grandma and I've spent all my pocket money. Would 20 cents get me a story? And I said, yes, yes of course it would. And so I wrote a story and life said, ah, she's put experience above money. I will pay her. So the next people who came along were two women from Sydney and they said, would $20 do enough for a story? <laughs> so anyway, I, I became totally addicted to the whole thing and uh, then went in every Sunday for two years um, from then on. Uh, and the most amazing subjects, people challenged me. And I, it was a challenge for my subconscious because I never knew what was going to happen. So, for example, the following week, someone said, can you write a story of the effect of Michael Jackson's pop music on migratory birds flying over Argentina. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was going to write. And that first Moomba day, um, you know, you get into that flow, you know, sort of, I have to do it, I'm not going to think, I just go, pen to paper, like a sort of mad thing, like a woman, well, I wasn't like a woman possessed, I was a woman possessed, and my subconscious had taken great hold of it, Hey, let's see what's going to happen. And at one point in that writing, um, I thought, someone's really staring at me. Why are they really staring at me? And I looked up and found there were 30 people in a semicircle really staring at me. <laughs> so it was just the most amazing experience. And I met so many different characters and had so many stories told to me because the story could be any payment. So someone could bring me a leaf or... Uh, someone could write a poem for me or someone could dance or sing a song or, or do a handstand or anything. And it was just fa fascinating of what would happen. And one, one day someone sort of said, oh, I haven't really got anything I can pay you with, but I'll think of something, I'll come back later. And he came back later in the day and said, here's a bunch of rhubarb. And I said, oh, good. And I wrote a story for him, I've forgotten what it was. And I said, oh, homegrown rhubarb. And he said, Mm, well, no, I'm not a gardener. I got it from the Botanic Gardens. <laughs> so, so that idea, you know, you never know who would come and, you know, from overseas travellers or anyone else. And there was one poignant, I hope I'm almost time, but one lovely boy, Canadian, came and he said, now, I'd like you to write a story and I don't want to read it. 
I wanted to send it back to my parents in Canada because I'm, uh, I've been travelling for two years. And I haven't got anything to swap, but oh, I have. And he ferreted it in his wallet and pulled out a tiny, weeny little bit of cardboard on which was taped, double taped, a little story that he'd written when he was 10. And it was the first story he'd ever written and had ever been published in his regional newspaper that probably closed down 20 years ago, so he wouldn't be any copies. And he said, this would be my payment and um, you can send it with the um, story you write back to my folks. And that evening I thought, I have to go to Officeworks and photocopy this because if, if the letter gets lost, he's lost it forever. <laughs> so, but it was just amazing, that sort of idea of you never knowing who would come along, what they'd swap um, and what would happen. It was just fascinating. So, yes, you never know what, what... When you start on something, you never know where it might lead because I thought I might occasionally go in, but the rules that I... Um, lived by with busking was that it didn't matter what the weather was, if it was raining cats and dogs or if it was really hot, it did not matter. I was going to go in and do it. And because of that, life said, ah, okay, I'll send you someone fascinating today or I'll send them amazing experience. So it's that idea of just fronting up to the, the experience and going for it and seeing what happens. So thank you very much. <laughs>I just, I just love that story. I love its message. I love the courage that she showed to show up every day on the streets of Melbourne to then try and perform a writing, a writing performance. But she had lots of fun with it and you can hear the joy in her voice and her take on her perspective on life, which is one of the reasons I love personal storytelling because we, we get to see someone's perspective on life. We, we get to see their belief systems. And I did say earlier that Christine didn't have a email address and she's a storyteller I, I didn't mean to suggest that they are mutually exclusive by any means because I have an email address in fact I have several email addresses and I still think of myself as a storyteller I'm Kate Lawrence and you're listening to Storywise Would End So the second story on this episode is from Tina Hartnett. Tina travelled up with Jackie Karen from Melbourne in order to support this new storytelling event that I was starting in Woodend. And I was incredibly relieved that both her and Jackie were coming because it meant I had two confirmed and experienced storytellers coming on the night. And Tina told this wonderful story only learning that day that it wasn't traditional storytelling and it was she would need to find a personal story. So here's Tina having only been thinking about it by the sounds of it since lunchtime. I was thinking today, I guess when you get to my age, there aren't too many firsts left that are legal and G-rated to talk about. Um... So I was just, as I was in the shower, the server, I was thinking, oh, what have been the firsts in my life recently? And there haven't been, there hasn't been anything really apart from accommodation. And last year I had to move house. And it was really, moving is really traumatic for me. We moved around a lot when I was growing up. And 
I had a di- I, I think my friends blocked out or just kept the whole H of their address books back in the days when we had address books. The whole T section and the whole H section of their address book was for me because I moved that often and details changed. And the irony of that is that I went to live overseas and I lived in that house for nine years and that was the most stable I had ever been in my life and just the irony of being in a foreign country to do that was not lost on me. So when I came back to Australia, I was really lucky to find a house that I I rented for seven years, but the owners wanted it back. It was so rude. And I had to move. And we didn't have a formal agreement or anything. It was just, I think I I got one of those rental, those tenants packs you can get yourself when I moved in and I just got them to sign it. But that only lasted for a year and seven years later I was still there. So when I got the knock on the door saying we want the house back, I, I went into a tailspin, not in front of them of course, I was very composed, and just said, really? Okay, well, I'd had it pretty good there, rent was cheap, so I thought I'll move on graciously. But rent in Melbourne, as you all probably know, is just ridiculous, just like the price of houses. It's it's stupid. And I thought, oh, my God, how am I going... I'd been paying really cheap rent, and I don't know what I was more afraid of, having to move house or having to pay market price for rent. I couldn't decide... Anyway, I waited about a week. I just let it all sink in because I thought where I was living in the southeastern suburbs, beachside, I thought there's no way I'll be able to afford a place here. I'll be working all to pay rent and I don't, I don't do that. I just don't. I can't bring myself to do the nine-to-five grind so I have enough money to pay rent. It just, some, just doesn't sit well with me at all. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to go in a different direction. I just spent the whole weekend on the internet looking for houses and I found them in the West in a, in a sort of price bracket that I could afford. And I thought, okay, I'll try going West. Now, just as a little backstory to this, I've been, you know how people have their thing in life? Some people are good at knitting or some people are really lucky with love, men or whatever. I'm good with accommodation. I'm lucky with accommodation. That's my thing. That's... That's my thing. So I kind of, when I had to start looking, I centred myself and I'm like, okay, all right, accommodation angels, you've come through for me before. I need your help now. And this house was $280 in the paper, or not in the paper, on the internet, on the internet. And um, I rang the real estate and said, I'm really interested, pets allowed. And she said, well, we'll consider, pets will be considered. So I thought, okay. And this was something I never ever, because again, I don't research things very properly, but this area, for some reason, I said to my dog, come on, Atticus, we're going to go and check out Seddon. So we jumped in the car and we went over the bridge and we were having a look around Seddon. Now, my sister's a property manager and my sister said, when you ring them up, ask if you can look at the house straight away, which I, I did when I rang the real estate to ask about the pets. I said, can I go and look at the place? She said, no. Nah. You've got to wait for the open inspection that's on Saturday. This was Tuesday. I went, oh, okay, all right. And um, when I told my sister that, my sister never takes no for an answer. She goes, no, 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 no. You ring her back and you just go, are you sure there's no way I can get a look in early? She goes, use that tone and just <laughs> and say that. 
So the Wednesday morning when I was said to Atticus, we're going to go and check out Seddon, I rang, but she didn't pick up the phone, so I left the message going, oh, it's Tina, I'm interested in the house in Seddon. Are you sure there's no way I can get... <laughs> anyway, I had no reply. So Addie and I, we're looking... When we get to the house, we knock on the door. There was no answer, and I was peeking through the windows, and it was empty. So I let myself in through the gate and had... Oh, no, really naughty. <laughs> And I went around the back and Addie was having a good sniff around. And I thought, OK, this will be all right. You know, it was the first house I'd looked at. And um, close to the train station, close to shops. And um, after we'd sort of scouted out the near vicinity of how far away it was from the station, I said to Addie, let's go and get a copper. We'll go and get a coffee. So we were sitting outside this cafe and I have a beautiful dog. He's really handsome. And he gets a lot of attention. And we were outside this cafe... And these women walk out and, of course, Atticus thinks the whole world is his friend. So he's doing the whole body wag and going up to say hi to these women. And they're going, oh, isn't he beautiful? Oh, he's so gorgeous. And they hopped into this car that was parked in front of me and the car had on it Burnham Real Estate. And I looked at my piece of paper and I'm like, Burnham Real Estate? They're the same people who are doing this house. And I went, Burnham Real Estate? And the woman behind the steering wheel went, yeah. And I went, are you Marina? And she goes, you know what, I've been calling you. And she got out of the car and I said, I'm Tina. I'm the one that said, are you sure I can't have a look now? And she goes, oh, the tenants have still got the keys. And I went, oh, bummer. I said, hey, oh, but now you've met my dog. You've met my dog. So you'll be able to say to the owner what a great dog he is. And she goes, yes, yes, I've met your dog. <laughs> and she looked, if they give me the keys back earlier, I'll call you. Which she ended up doing the next day. So I was the first person that got to go and look through the house. Which, oh, look, I had mixed emotions. The pool table green carpet didn't impress me straight off. Uh, it, the house stank like... It just windows had been closed, it was musty, but it had that... could have been must or it could have been damp, I wasn't sure. And then I went into the toilet that was... the system was lopsided and held up with a bit of masking tape and I thought, oh, my God. And then the range hood above the stove was just rusted and filthy and by that time I was starting to choke up and I was taking a video so I could show my sister, but I had to stop filming because it was just all too much. And that was my commentary on the video. So that night, I rang my sister on the way home. She goes, so, so, what's, what's the house like? I'm like, Cindy, it's just, I don't know if I can live there. And she goes, Tenny, you're not in a palace now. And I wasn't. I was living in a, you know, the house I was living in, there was no carpet, but it, was, it had a lot more character than this place. But anyway, she goes... Focus, Tina, focus. What are your priorities? I went, to be close to the city and pay under $300 a week. And she goes, well, suck it up, princess, because this fits the bill. You're going to apply. So I was like, okay. So I went home, filled out an application form and applied online. But out of curiosity, I went to that house inspection on the Saturday. Just out of curiosity, just to see. Because, you know, I was the first person to see the house. I wanted to see what other people's reactions were. So as I pull up, there's like about 30 people outside. And I got, oh my God, because everyone wants this great bargain. So I brace myself, knowing that I'm the first person that's already been through it. I walk in, everyone's, uh, you know, with, with someone else, I'm alone. I'm the only one by myself. Everyone's got a friend with them. So they're all talking about the house. And I'm walking in and I'm like, all right, I've got to put everyone else off. I've got to psych them all out. Because I want this house. First in, best dress. This is my place. I want it. So I walk in and I go, oh, 
Gee, that's a damp smell, isn't it? Oh, my God, there's damp. Oh, gee, you don't want to live in a house with damp. Mm-mm-mm. And then I go through and in the toilet, I'm like, oh, my God, look at that toilet. The cistern's all crooked and the bathroom slopes down. And on and on, I just kept pointing out everything that was negative. It didn't work. There was still, she still got about 14 applications, but I came first and got the house. Ah, Tina, the chutzpah that she has to be doing that, to be putting other people off with uh, with such overt uh, tactics. But, you know, she got the house in the end. It sounded like it had her name all over it. And Atticus was featuring in that story. I've heard uh, another story Tina tell where I'm not sure if it was Atticus or Atticus's predecessor, but dogs are uh, feature very, very prominently in Tina's life, as they do in mine. Uh, we will, I'm sure, get to hear from my two dogs in this podcast at some point. Uh, at the moment, I'm listening to the white, sulfur-crested white cockatoos flying overhead, but I, I'm pretty sure they're not registering on the microphone. So that brings us to the end of episode three. As is usual, if you like this podcast, please share it on social media, tell people about it, leave a review or a rating on iTunes because that's how other people will find out about it. And if you're in the vicinity, come along to Storywise Wood End first Friday of the month, March to November, and you can find out more details on the website. Thanks for listening to StoryWise Would End. If you want to know more about StoryWise or me, Kate Lawrence, then head over to storywise.com.au. And remember, your stories matter.